Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 155 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday night, March 24th, 2019, and uh, if this was the week, you picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue because the Blue Devils... The Blue Devils just barely eked out Johnny Dawkins' University of Central Florida team tonight by a single point. Uh, my understanding is that it's the the last time that Duke won an NCAA tournament game by one point was way back in 2008 when yours truly, Sam Klein, was a freshman at Duke. Uh, I'm now, I guess I'm now a fifth year. It just took me a long time to get here. Uh, so with that, we're going to recap that game. We're going to recap the whole weekend of the NCAA tournament to this point. Uh, but before we do that, of course, I need to bring in my co-hosts. Uh, I'm coming to you as usual from Durham. Um, uh, I also have, as usual, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, Jason Evans. Jason, good evening. How are you? Um, I, without being too graphic, I'm I'm still cleaning up my shorts after watching the end of that game. So we have that. <laughs> so we have that graphic. And uh, up in Washington D.C. Uh, he's probably the happiest one here because he just gets to stay in his home city next weekend and see the Blue Devils play is our man Donald Wine. Donald, uh, can't wait to come up and hang out with you next week. That's going to be fun. Um, First of all, I want to note that when you said uh, we haven't won a one-point game in the NCAA tournament since 2008, that game was against Belmont. I was at that game. That game was right here in Washington, D.C. So um, kind of a, a, a full circle at this point. But also, uh, if any of you out there um, have two extra tickets for your two of your favorite Duke Blue uh, Duke Basketball Report podcast co-hosts, um, please email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We will happily take them off your hands. Yeah, that is uh, that's true, Donald. I actually I have a ticket for next week, but oh, I will see. I, see oh, you left me, guys. You left we me. can always we can always use more. We. We can always use more. We will be eternally grateful to you. And and speaking of people that we're grateful for, of course, before we get going with the show tonight, uh, we have to, of course, thank our sponsors as usual. Um, the folks of Bird Campbell, uh, Bird Campbell Law Firm in Florida and Texas for all of your legal needs. Of course, contact them at birdcampbell.com, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Bird Campbell means business. And of course to Kenny Denard and his fine new website, gthcgth.com for all of the latest go to hell Carolina and Duke uh, men's basketball apparel. Uh, my understanding is that this week they've got new shirts up there that have the sights on six ads on them. So you guys can, can cop those over at gthcgth.com. So now that we've done that, guys, let's get right into it. As we, of course, mentioned at the top of the show, and is that as everyone who I would imagine is listening to this show is well aware, uh, Duke, as I said, eked out a victory this evening against UCF. The final score in Columbia, South Carolina was 77 to 76. It was a back and forth affair. Duke was down by a few points late. Um, Donald, I'm going to get your reaction first because I feel like Jason's really going to amplify things here. And I'm curious to see if he goes in on the refs or if he goes in on some of the some of the coaching or some of the players, but Donald, let me, let me start with you. Uh, give me your take on, on Duke getting this, this very tough victory uh, against Johnny Dawkins, team. So I, I, there's a lot we can start with, but I'm going to start with this um, hats off to UCF straight up. They played exceptional tonight and um, Aubrey Dawkins. Um, I, I'm not quite sure how 
he ended up being the player of the game, but he was every bit the player of the game. Um, Coach K called him magnificent, and I don't think that's a good enough word to describe his performance tonight. 32 points on 12 of 18 shooting, and it seemed like at a certain point in the second half, literally everything he threw up went in. Uh, it was it was a, ma- a magnificent performance, and I-, I would say that they were equally deserving to win this basketball game. Now, having said that, I think we also were deserving to win this basketball game, and I'm glad that we did, uh, even if it was by a point. It's called Survive in Advance, ladies and gentlemen, in March Madness, um, and that is exactly what we did tonight. Um, you start hey, with hey, Zion. Donald, Donald, Donald yeah. I've got a question. If you win the national title and you win a game where it was just barely really close and the ball rolled off the rim and, oh, you could have easily lost – do, do they put like an asterisk on your national title or, or is it somewhere? Sure Hang it's on. Not? It depends. It depends. <laughs> uh, how many, how many strippers did you pay for your yeah. players to hang out with during the season? That's true. I think that you, nice. you have to know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, but, but they don't normally put an asterisk, but yes, there are exceptions to that rule, but getting back to our performance, I, I start with Zion and it's funny Zion. When you look at his, when you look at the game, it didn't seem like he had a very efficient game because, you know, before the game they were talking about the matchup between him and uh, Taco Fall, um, and going at him was really what allowed him to score a lot of points. But he it didn't seem to be efficient. But when you look at the box score, you see, oh, he had 32 points and 12 of 24 shooting, and was three for seven from three point land, and had 11 rebounds, four assists, a steal. It, it just, I. I I don't understand how he is able to make something so what would be appear so efficient um, or inefficient look so great in the box score because I think he had a great game, but it was a struggle in the first part as they tried to figure out how to get around taco and, you know, get points in the paint, which is where our specialty is. Um, I I, want to say that RJ Barrett at the end of the game was very good, Uh, but I question our, what we were doing in that last minute, because I feel like we were out of sorts basically from about two minutes on uh, or two minutes left in the game to the end of the game. And somehow we still came out with a one point victory. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, 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 Jason here and get his thoughts because there's a lot we can unpack. I'm just going to start with that and let Jason take it from there. So I, I'm glad you talked a little bit about how taco influenced the game. When I'm wrong, I say it. And I am here to tell everyone I was wrong about how much Taco Fall would impact the game. I greatly underrated. I, I guess I didn't realize how big seven foot six was, even though I made that great joke about it being as much taller as Sam is shorter. You know, whatever the joke. Yeah, I was going to say time. you didn't know how tall it was. Well, Come on, now I feel like we I feel like we really beat this thing to death a few days ago. I didn't realize how much taco would impact everything we tried to do in the lane to some extent if you were to say i'm going to design a team to make to to shut down what duke does best the very first thing you would do is you would go i'm going to take i'm going to get a guy who's seven foot six and put him in the middle of the lane because rj and zion were incredibly affected going to the hoop um and, uh, you know, everyone sort of – there was this big thing over the weekend that Taco said he wasn't going to let Zion dunk on him. And people were like, oh, Zion's going to dunk on you anyway. <laughs> Guess what? Zion never, never, never dunked on Taco Fall. You guys want some incredible stats? ESPN put these stats out there, out here, and I, I want to repeat them to you. Zion Williamson on plays when Taco Fall was not in the game was 4 of 4 in the paint. He was 5 of 6 overall. 
And he averaged 2.17 points per shot when Taco Fall was not in the game. That's right. He averaged better than two points per shot when Taco Fall was not in the game. When Taco was in the game, Zion was seven for 18. This is a guy who hits two-thirds of his shots. He was just seven for 18. You know what Zion's field goal percentage was in the paint? I mean, and this is a guy who hits probably 80% of his shots in the paint. He was four for 10 when Taco Fall was in there. Zion averaged less than one point per shot, 0.83 points per shot when Taco Fall was in the game. Now, Jason, how many of those yeah. were Taco fouls that weren't called? Oh, my God. Okay, so wait. So wait. So <laughs> right, we got to go about now. that, too. We're going to do this now. Um, uh, so Taco Fall fouled out with five fouls, but actually he didn't foul out with five fouls. I think he had five fouls. I think he had seven or eight fouls. There he was like one 11. play. Oh, my – how how did the refs – how did these guys – you know, by the way, with referees, the way it works in the NCAA tournament is they cut the number – same way they cut the number of teams in half each round, they cut the number of refs in half each round. So does that these mean, guys – Does that mean that they – does that mean that they like King Solomon the refs? Because I feel like they could do that to these guys and they would have been just as effective. <laughs> right? I mean, what a – like, can I can I finish your thought for you, Jason? Go, Man, please, please. What an atrocious game by the referees. And you know how you know it's bad? Is that, like, I was watching the game, and th- and I try to, I really try to take my Duke goggles off when, I, when, when I'm thinking about, like, how crappy the refs are. And, oh, this was such a bad call. There were times when I thought, like, oh, Duke, Duke actually got, was, was on the receiving end, of, like, on, on the good end. Of, of some of these bad calls, but some of the the no calls on the fouls were just nuts. And then I go onto Twitter and everyone is is bashing the refs for being for being Duke homers, including including Jeff Goodman, who actually like has to write about college basketball on a national level. I can't remember where he writes for now, but I saw his tweet show up in my timeline about how, of course, Duke was going to get all these calls. And I was like, oh, brother, here we go. Um, what guys, a, I just what a stupid I, I old trope. Look at our group text. I just sent you a picture of of the foul that was not called that would have been Taco Fouls. Taco oh, foul. I've seen it. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, 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 the freeze frame. But here's the thing. I I, I want to and I'll get back to you, Jason. Um, but okay. talking about Taco and all his fouls, there was one play where he fouled R.J. Barrett three times on the same play, and Ben yeah. Swain on Twitter at that point because they show the replay and Taco of course, is 7'6". When he puts his hands in the air, he's basically 10 feet tall. But when he was hitting R.J. Barrett, it was at the backboard, which is about eight and a half feet off the ground, right? So he had his hands basically straight out. So Ben Swain on Twitter goes, not sure why Taco is allowed to bring his arms down. That's a foul if he's 6'10 and the other guy is 6'4". And he's absolutely right because that very next side, that very next possession that UCF had, they go down the lane. Javin Delorier puts his hand like one degree past perpendicular and he gets a foul call. And that's what had coach Krzyzewski absolutely livid on the sidelines, especially after that play where he was like down there, he's literally, you know, has his hands straight out and can foul the guy three times. No call. You go down and get and our guy is one degree off center. And all of a sudden it's the most egregious foul in the world. That's why people were on Twitter talking about the rest on both sides. Well, can 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 I just say really quick? So we 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 bash the refs here, and there's no question that Taco Foul. I've decided that's what I'm going to call him. There's no question that Taco Foul committed. Whoa, way, whoa, way, whoa, way. You're very, you're very funny, Jason. You know that. 
Very fun. Bite me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, at least we won. Sorry, continue. Yeah, there's no question that he committed way more fouls than he was called for. But I can, let's put the refs aside for a minute. Um, I, I I feel, I really feel for Johnny Dawkins and Aubrey Dawkins. Um, it, it, you could tell in the post-game interviews that both Coach K and Johnny hated playing each other and that they were both incredibly conflicted. I mean, Johnny talked about it in his interview on CBS. He was like, you know, I, I, I love these guys, not meaning his team, meaning the Duke coaches, the Duke staff, the Duke program. Um, and he said, you know, on the one hand, um, I'm incredibly sad that my team lost. On the other hand, I'm glad that Coach K won. Um, and Aubrey Dawkins, you know, Donald, you talked about it for a second. What, what a great game by that guy. Do you guys know, uh, Aubrey Dawkins is like 24. He has been around forever because he took he took a year of prep school when he got done in college. I mean, done with high school. And then he went to Michigan for two years. And then he transferred to play for his dad um, to Central Florida. Uh, sorry, to, to South Florida. Uh, Central Florida. I've Central done that Florida. so many times now. Are we, gonna do this? Are we going to do this we're again? We're not this doing this great... again. We're not I think doing it's a great bit. <laughs> no, we're not doing it again. <laughs> he transferred to Central Florida, so he had to sit out a year. Then he, then he got hurt. And so he didn't play last year because he was hurt. So... He, he's like, he's been in, he graduated from high school in like 2013 or something like that. He's been around forever. Um, but for him to have almost certainly the best game of his career playing against, I mean, this, this kid sat on coach K's knee when he was a baby and he has the best game of his career playing against coach K against his dad's school on a big national stage. I, I, I feel for them because. Aubrey and Johnny sort of, they deserve to win today. I just wish it hadn't, um, I, I wish they'd been playing someone else so they could have won and we could have rooted for them. Yeah, um, uh, it was funny at halftime, um, Trace Wilson asked about, asked Coach K about uh, about Aubrey Dawkins and his performance. And he said, you know, he has 15 points and, you know, Johnny better thank me for all those times that I let him in the, uh, in the, in the gym and Cameron to take all those jumpers because it's certainly paying off. I thought that was pretty funny. Well, you think about it. He's 24 years old. Johnny Dawkins left Duke 11 years ago. So Aubrey Dawkins would have been you know, in Durham until age 13. Those mm -hmm. would be like his most formative years, especially when it comes to like idolizing basketball players and all and all that kind of and stuff. And development purposes. Yeah, he was definitely, I mean, that's the thing is it's, it, you could tell Coach K is emotional about this whole game. I mean, when we talk about how he loves his players and he loves, you know, his former assistants, I don't it's hard to find someone that he loves more than Johnny Dawkins. He talks about him all the time. When Johnny Dawkins left in 2008, he mentioned how, you know, how much he was a part of the program and how he had built it and how he really established it and Johnny Dawkins was that recruit that got them over the hump. So, uh, I really, you know, he clearly has a lot of respect for him uh and and for that team and and you could tell how hard they played because those guys wanted to get a win for Johnny too. And it just, you know, it sucked. Like you said, it sucks that we had to play each other because I think both teams deserve to be in the Sweet 16, but I'm glad it's us. So I, as much as we, as much as I, I would love to actually keep talking about the whole Johnny Dawkins thing, because I think the Coach K and his former players slash assistants uh, element of this was was arguably the most fun, you know, talking point of the game. But I did want to get down into like a little bit more analysis because I think it's going to be important uh, especially looking forward at all the different ways that, that UCF tried to attack Duke and kind of trying to think about 
uh, what Duke is going to have to do to adjust here as we get into the tournament. We're now into the Sweet 16. There are no, there are not even mediocre teams left. There's only really good teams uh, left ahead for Duke. So, uh, Jason, why don't you, why don't you kind of get in a little deeper about uh, what Duke was able to do on offense and sort of how that game plan had to change to adjust to the different defenses that UCF was throwing at them. So uh, to me, the biggest thing is, and, and we knew this was going to happen. Um, it's, it's teams saying we're not going to let RJ and Zion beat us. Um, and, and they essentially, uh, there are a couple of times it looked like they might've been playing a triangle in two or something like that. It's sort of weird because UCF, because Taco is so big, um, they don't have to put guys on the back line. Taco essentially is the entire back line, but it, it felt like they were they were they were determined not to let RJ and Zion beat them. Now, in the end, RJ and Zion did beat them because RJ and Zion are like inhumanly good. You know, we don't need to get into that. Everyone knows how great those two guys are who are going to be. You know two of the top two or two of the top three picks in the NBA draft and, and who've set record after record after record for freshmen and, and having even having nothing to do with freshmen. But, but I think what happened to Trey Jones in this game to me is a, is a major story for Duke. Uh, Trey was at one point Oh, for seven from three, he ended up hitting his last one to go one for eight. Um, and they were leaving Trey wide, wide, wide open. And, and, I don't know if other teams will be able to duplicate this because part of why they were leaving him open was if he tried to go inside, Taco's able to disrupt his shot. You know, Taco Fall had, I think it was three blocks in the game, but the number of times he changed people's shots was unreal. Um, you know, it probably, probably well into the double digits of shots that Duke missed because of the way Taco makes you change your shot. Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned for what teams are going to try and do to Trey going forward. Cause I think teams have clearly identified that as a point of weakness for Duke. That said, Trey seemed very confident. Like he, I didn't feel like he was a reluctant three point shooter in this game. Um, there were a couple of times he stepped into them um, where, where it looked to me like this was a guy who was certain that his next shot was going to go down. That said, a friend of mine sent me uh, a, a, an email, a note, that I had to repeat that is just so damn funny. He said every time one of Duke's guards takes a three-pointer before number one, Zion Williamson, touches the ball, somewhere a kitten dies. <laughs> it's actually, I mean, it sounds kind of horrible, but but your friend your friend does have a point. Yes. It's um, it's it, it, it the the thing that was astounding to me about it, it like I, I had a lot of friends saying like oh my god what is Trey doing like why does he keep taking these shots they're obviously giving them to him and you got to think that Coach K was on the sideline telling him look if you have if you have the shot in rhythm and it's open for you you might as well take it because it's it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with his shot it doesn't seem like he doesn't know what he's doing it, they just aren't falling and and you have to you have to kind of play that way, even though it's sort of the, it, it's like, it's like the optimal strategy for Duke to let Trey Jones take the to shots, at least occasionally, if only to keep the defense honest and he's going to keep taking them. And, and I'm curious to see next week if, and we'll talk about Virginia tech. I'm curious if Virginia tech is going to play as loose with the non Zion and RJ members of the offense as UCF did. Well, by the way, one of those non RJ and Zion guys who I wanted to single out, 
Um, Cam Reddish uh, was three of four from three-point range and hit, you know, the biggest three of the season with a minute and 40 seconds left with Duke down four. Um, and, and absolutely, uh, you know, stepped into it and, and there was no question in his mind that it was going down. And I loved, you know, we got, we got, you know, the really good Cam Reddish early in the game. Um, Cam was great for about the first 10 minutes or so. Uh, mm-hmm. and then he sort of, you know, went into, a, he got in foul trouble and things weren't going his way. And we know how it is kind of with Cam. Um, I, I love him. And I, I think he's got a huge, huge future, but, um, sometimes he disappears and, 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 Cam disappeared for a long stretch. Again, a lot of it was foul trouble, but some of it was also his own doing. Uh, but for him to to make that play really late in the game, uh, I, I thought was really big. And then I, I also can can I talk for a second about Javin Delorier because I thought Javin was outstanding at times in this game. I, I also think that Javin is the happiest man in the entire state of South Carolina tonight because we won despite him missing two free throws with a minute left down one. I mean, oh my God. Talk yeah. about a nightmare. And that the second of those free throws uh, never got to, never even came close to getting to the rim um, or getting above the rim, I should say. Uh, but I thought Javin did a really nice job on Taco. He blocked one of Taco Fall's shots. I was like, damn. And he had that's another gotta be, just, That's got to yeah. be a highlight. And he gave him a little, like a little like Javin stare. It wasn't like a, like a stare that would get him in any trouble or anything. But it was enough look. to be like, yeah, that happened. He, and he had another block that was really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought Javin was excellent on defense. He had he had eight rebounds. He had some hugely clutch offensive rebounds. Uh, so even though and 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 he had uh, a slam dunk. I mean, you know, uh, even though he missed those two free throws, and that may be what some people remember about him. I really felt like Javin did a a, a great job in this game, and and is one of the unsung heroes um, of this contest, along with um, Jordan Goldwire. Guys, I got a question. <laughs> what kind of odds could you have gotten on this statement a couple of weeks ago? Duke's best lineup includes Jordan Goldwire because I'm starting to think Duke's best lineup includes Jordan Goldwire because of his to. defensive pressure. It yeah. has to at this point because Duke turns to Jordan Goldwire when uh, they they need to make things happen. And honestly, it, it happens at both ends of the court. It's not like Jordan Goldwire is a great shooter or anything but he's still a good a good facilitator and then on defense he, he hit a and, three. And he hit another he, three that's true he and yeah. he and trey jones play that that suffocating uh press defense as well as we've seen in college basketball i think in a number of years you know i i love talking about that 2013 louisville team that is what it reminds me of when you see gold wire and trey jones like really locking in on the press and down the stretch ucf was really frustrated by it, especially with Goldwire in the game. There were times where they would just dribble themselves into a corner and then be totally stuck and have to call a timeout. I love watching Duke play that way, and I love that Goldwire is able to contribute in that way. As as I said last week on the show, I don't know anymore what the deal is with Duke's rotation. It does seem to change. Jack White obviously was hurt this weekend, so we didn't get to see him, and we don't know how the rotation would have been different with him, but... Man, who knows? Jason, I think you're right. I think Jordan Goldwire is on on Duke's best best five at this point. I don't know if they're going to actually move him into the starting lineup. I don't know if that would be no, necessary. No, no, that's not, and that's not what I'm saying. That's not but what they're I'm saying. Going to, but they're going to but he's going to keep getting 20 minutes a game if if that's the case and and Duke's just going to kind of kind of keep him around. This is sort of like what they 
probably would have preferred Tyler Thornton be doing when Tyler Thornton was starting and playing 35 minutes a game. This is probably the role that was envisioned for him, uh, you know, back in the day. Yeah, and the last thing I want to add is uh, two really quick things about the very, very end of the game. Um, first of all, I, I'm pretty sure you both are old. I know Donald is. Sam, I think you're old enough to remember the Indiana game in 2002, um, where at the very, very end of the game, uh, Carlos Boozer comes down with a rebound. He gets horribly fouled. The refs don't call it, whatever. Um, and uh, and and his shot like rolls and bounces off the rim as time expires. And so Duke loses the game in the tournament to Indiana. Um, this was sort of the opposite of that at the very end. Um, you know, there, there's there's karma and things go things go both ways over the course of time. Um, if if 2002 Duke got robbed of what many people thought would be a national title run because of this crazy Indiana game where the ball rolled away for us, maybe 2019 Duke got a karmic break because the roll didn't go for um for central florida oh, i mean see, boy, i was uh, i wasn't even gonna, i was only going to go back a year and say that grayson allen's last shot at the end of the, oh, kansas, the kansas game, game. last year yeah. yep, was going to be yeah. it but yeah, as, i think, as I think a, sam's got it there as yeah. a friend pointed out to me that game was to go to the final four this was a this was a game to go to the sweet 16 uh, that indiana game happened in the sweet 16 right yes so, it did yes it um did. Yeah, slightly different circumstance, but but certainly uh, perhaps perhaps Duke is still owed then for for that. No, I'm not going to pretend like Duke is owed anything. We we've had we've we've won a couple of national championships since that Indiana game. I think I think we're doing okay on the karma front. But um, man, how how heart stopping was was that last play of the game? I mean, you think about the the Butler championship game from a few years ago. That that sort of had um, echoes of that of that same. Especially it wasn't that last Butler play not not where Hayward puts up the half court shot, but the play before that where Hayward was driving to his right and Zubek had to get up in his grill and, and full extension and reach his hand out. Yeah. That was what that yeah. was reminding me of was that last play. And then, and then as time was expiring, I was screaming at the television just to get the ball and throw it away. Just throw it anywhere. Don't let, don't let the ball get back up again. Yeah. That was a, uh, it was an exciting finish to the game. Uh, although I still don't, although... I still don't know how that Aubrey Dawkins tip didn't go in. That thing yeah. literally rolls across every inch of the rim. I, I, we needed the gods of physics to change physics for that ball not to go in. But Look, I'll take last it. year. Last year's ball literally touched every square inch of the inside and the top of yep. that rim. And so, yeah, when it happened again and I saw it like roll across, I was like, oh, it didn't even get all the rim like last year's did. <laughs> all right, guys, I want to finish. I want to finish with, with one quick question on the UCF game. And and I just want your very quick responses. Uh, do you think that that one UCF shot hit rim when it came down or did it just get backboard Jason? So uh, what I would say is this. It was so close. I don't know that the refs could have overturned it. I, I think it probably didn't get the rim, but it sure, I mean, there were several angles where it sure looked like it did. And, and I'll say this, I think maybe it didn't get the rim and the blown fast break dunk that happened about a minute later where Aubrey Dawkins sort of lost the handle as he was going up for a dunk that probably would have sealed the game. That to me was sort of a cosmic karma makeup for the shot clock violation that didn't happen all right donald i don't think it touched the rim at all um i because when they show the freeze frame and they're showing it frame by frame 
you don't see the ball change trajectory until it hits the backboard. Um, let the record let the record reflect then that in the opinion of the unbiased Duke Basketball Report podcast, that ball did not touch the rim. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the boys of Bird Campbell, PA, with law offices in Florida and Texas. For all of your legal needs, contact Bird Campbell, PA at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Have your legal needs taken care of by a couple of Duke alumni and former roommates. Bird Campbell means business. All right, guys. So I want to quickly do a little, a little look at the rest of the field. It's about 10 p.m. on Sunday when we're recording this. There are a couple games left in the round of 32, but I just wanted to see if you guys had any reactions to the rest of the games from this weekend before we move on to the Virginia Tech game and the Sweet 16 next week. So, Jason, I'll start with you. Feel free to kind of kind of go wherever i know that a lot of this weekend has been fairly chalk uh although some of the games have been particularly exciting maybe that maryland lsu game what what stood out to you from this weekend i i think what sticks out to me is how chalky it's been i mean there we're uh, we don't know the result of it yet we're gonna have one 12 or 13 that that makes it to the sweet 16 because um uc irvine and oregon are playing right now and one of those two teams that's a 12 and a 13 but other than that, I'm not sure there's going to be anyone who makes it to the Sweet 16 where you're going to be like, wow, that's a shocker. I did not see that one coming. Almost without fail, every other one of these teams is a team that is among the elite. And uh, and and that says to me, we're going to see really, really competitive Sweet 16 games um, that hopefully make up for the fact that it's been, not only has it been shocking, there hasn't been a lot of really great games. I mean, the, the Iowa-Tennessee game today um, goes to overtime. I think it's the first, I'm pretty sure it's the first overtime game of the tournament. Um, and uh, But but it was a game where Tennessee was blowing them out the whole time and then Iowa came back late. And then even the overtime wasn't like super exciting because Tennessee raced out to a seven-point lead in the overtime very, very quickly. So um, to, to me, the, the story of the tournament so far is cream rising to the top and the cream is the ones the twos the threes and the fours and for the most part almost without fail that's what we're getting in the in the uh, sweet 16 donald yeah. what, what do you what do you got well, on the I, tournament I, I was gonna i was gonna pop in before, before oh, go. Donald sure, sorry. i think it sort of speaks to not that not that the tournament is here to validate what we think about the teams because the, the sample sizes are too small but we sort of said going into the tournament and we've said all year that the top of college basketball is really good like there's not Duke, Duke, when when Duke is at its best, it's it's really awesome. Um, but we've known all year that Virginia, Gonzaga, UNC, Michigan, Michigan State, Kentucky, these teams have been like a cut above the rest, and it's showing this weekend. Uh, Duke obviously had a hard time getting away from UCF, but for the most part, these ones and two seeds, and then even for the most part, the threes and fours have had. Uh, I've had pretty strong showings this weekend. Donald, was that your take too? Were there any were there any games in particular that you that you were locked in on? I mean, the, going back to the part where we're talking about how chalky this bracket for the most part has been as we speak, UVA is in the final seconds of of winning. So all four one seeds have gone through all four two seeds 
And as of right now, we have all four three seeds. Houston is up at the half. But all these games are also kind of blah in the sense that there wasn't a lot of drama. If you think about all the games over the weekend, very few games had drama going down the last few seconds. I think, honestly, the most dramatic game that we've had was our game tonight. Um, oh, there's and, no and I, question. No question about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not even close. There's a lot of these games where well, uh, there's a lot of drama. LSU, at, Florida LSU was close. Florida LSU was was because Maryland. And they right? actually Maryland was, LSU. Maryland LSU. Ma- I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Maryland LSU. That's what I meant to say. I forget about um, Jason. I forget about Maryland all the time. Yeah, too. I do too. Um, they but, wear uh, red. They're all wearing red. <laughs> but, but thanks to LSU for uh, for knocking Maryland out and not having to face them in DC this weekend uh, and their fans. But anyway, I, I think the the main part is yes. Sometimes we like in most of these tournaments we have a one shining moment that happens in this first weekend that make people go, Oh my God, did you see that? And, and make people have FOMO that they didn't watch that game or that they, they were in, not in front of their computer or TV when a shot happens or a particular moment happens. I don't think we've really seen that in this tournament so far. And, I, and that is probably the most surprising part of this tournament to me is that it's not necessarily the chalk that sometimes happens, but just the fact that we haven't had moments that you can see that you can sit there and, and at the water cooler tomorrow at work, you could say, oh, my God, did you see that part of this one game? Um, or did you see the ending of this one game? Really, most people are going to be talking about this Duke-UCF game that just happened as the main highlight of this tournament so far. So I got an amazing stat for you guys. You ready for this? Um, if you look at Ken – look, we talk about Ken Pomeroy's rankings all the time. And, and a lot of people pay attention to them, and, and a lot of people believe that the Pomeroy rankings are a great way of figuring out who the best teams in the country are. At this moment, with uh, 18 teams, I believe, a total of 18 teams still alive because we've got two games that are still being played, uh, 14, 14, the top 14 teams in Ken Pomeroy's rankings, every single one of them from number one to number 14 is still alive. It looks like the Sweet 16 is going to feature the top 14 teams in the nation, plus LSU, who's number 18, and then, as I mentioned, you know, either Oregon or um, uh, or UC Irvine, who who are a bit lower. But I mean, it is amazing what we're seeing in terms of the top teams doing what they're supposed to do and winning their games. Uh, and I, I'm not sure we've ever seen a tournament that that was to some extent this predictable. Yeah, it's uh, it, it like I said, that's that sort of speaks to what what the sport's been like this year, and uh, and and as much as we might bemoan that the first weekend was not as exciting as it as it often is, hopefully it means that next weekend, Duke games or not, next weekend with all these great teams in the Sweet Sixteen should prove to be uh, really entertaining for fans around the country. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by GTHCGTH.com for all of your very cool, very swaggy Duke basketball apparel. Check out uh, Duke alum Kenny Denard's site. They've got new shirts up, brand new shirts for the Sweet 16 with the Sights on 6 logo on it. So don't forget to check it out, GTHCGTH.com. GTHCGTH.com. 
So as we mentioned before, looking ahead at the Sweet 16, Duke is going to play a familiar opponent in the Virginia Tech Hokies on Friday in Washington, D.C. This is the game that Jason was very excited to talk about when we previewed the tournament a week ago, and now it is pissed actually off. coming. Pissed, and pissed off, not excited. Pissed off. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Uh, <laughs> but now it's here. Now now the uh, the pigeons are coming home to roost. The, the, the Hokies are coming home to roost. Something, something along those lines. Anyway. Uh, of course, Duke already played Virginia Tech once this year uh, in in the regular season, a game that was in Blacksburg that Virginia Tech won. But let's be real, guys. The, the game next week is not going to look a whole lot like that game in Blacksburg. Both Duke and Virginia Tech were missing their best players. Duke, of course, was missing National Player of the Year, according to some, Zion Williamson. Virginia Tech missing Justin Robinson, who's been their most effective player this year, a, a deadly shooter and a, and a facilitator, distributor, all those things for the Hokies and, and Buzz Williams. So, Donald, why don't you start us off here? Tell me about what you think this Virginia Tech game is going to look like, and what do you think Duke needs to improve on from the first weekend to the second weekend to get past a really, really strong Hokie squad? Well, I, I think we've seen a lot of what uh, Virginia Tech can do. And, and yes, they didn't have Justin Robinson last time, but we didn't have Zion Williamson last time. So I think this is going to be a different kind of game than we would have seen had both of those guys been healthy three weeks ago. I think in the end, when we get out of sorts, we start settling for jump shots. And that's not necessarily just three-pointers. That's also, you know, those 18 to 20-foot jump shots that are inside that three-point arc. And we, we're not very good at those. That's not very efficient basketball. And when we get inside the paint, which I think, I think we can do against Virginia Tech, then we're a much better basketball team. Also, I mean – Blackshear had a career game against us, I, and he's been pretty good since then. But you have to kind of wonder whether or not he will be able to produce that same kind of magic that he did in Blacksburg uh, back on February 27th. So I'm not quite sure what the the key to the game is because I think there's a lot of them. Um, but in the end, I think if Duke plays with the mindset that they are the best team in basketball, and that they can do anything they want inside the paint and go to the guys, go to the, the, the bread and butter plays and the bread and butter, you know, basketball that has gotten us this far, then they're going to win this basketball game. But if we resort to just shooting a lot of threes, um, getting the ball to people who you know, are in bad positions to make bad plays and really take not taking care of the basketball, which I don't think we did well against Virginia Tech last time, then we're going to be in trouble. Uh, and here's the thing. We're basically, again, going to be playing on the road. D.C. has a metric buttload of Virginia Tech fans who are itching to watch their team play and beat us again. We're, we're going to have to have that mindset of this being a road game. Uh, there will be a lot of Duke fans there, too. Don't get me wrong. But we're going to have to have that mindset of approaching this like a business trip and really getting to the basics that have made Duke basketball as successful as it is this season. I, I think that on top of that, you've got um... – Virginia Tech is generally a very good three-point shooting team. We mm -hmm. talked about that the first time we played them. And Duke, tonight against UCF, Duke uh, really let UCF <laughs> kind of run wild with, with the three-point shots. That was what was, what, you know, on top of all the Taco Fall stuff, the three-point shot for UCF was what was really working for them. So you got to hope that, that Duke is going to come up with a game plan to limit and 
push Virginia Tech off of the three-point line better than they did tonight against the Golden Knights. I think that that is is my key is to watch is to watch Duke's perimeter defense and see how much they're able to speed up Virginia Tech because uh, if Duke's in transition, that's that's when they're deadliest. Jason, was there anything um, perhaps on the Justin Robinson front that that you're going to be keeping your eye on in this one? Well, uh, Justin Robinson is such a great facilitator. I mean, the thing he does really, really well for them is he sets up the other guys. He has, if you look at advanced stats, uh, assist rate is a is a big advanced stat for guards. Justin Robinson's assist rate is through the roof, is incredibly high. And he's, that that's just, you know, that's what he does for them in addition to other things. But especially now that he's come back, I, I still feel like he's trying to get his legs under himself a little bit. Um, but uh, But he is fabulous at... Even if it isn't, um, even if it isn't himself uh, creating the assist, you know, like the hockey assist kind of thing, Justin Robinson makes the smart play. He makes the smart pass. Uh, but Sam, you are a hundred percent right. The key for Virginia Tech is three pointers. This is one of the best three point shooting teams in the country. Um, they, as a result of that, they're they're one of the best effective field goal percentage teams in the country because they hit a lot of threes. They don't even bother to take a lot of twos. Um, uh, really, uh, they, they only take two point shots if they're wide open or if Kerry Blackshear, who is an excellent, excellent, um, interior player, if Kerry Blackshear, you know, gets the ball in the post, they'll take a two point shot. But other than that, they're mostly taking three pointers and that's their game plan. And they are incredibly patient about it. Um, sort of just like Virginia, this is a team that doesn't mind winding the shot clock way down. They play at a very slow tempo. One of the slowest tempos in, in in the entire game, one of the 20 slowest teams in all of college basketball, because they are going to work the ball around until they get that open three-pointer that they want. Now, Duke has been great up until now at stopping teams from getting good three-point shots. One of the one of the hallmarks of our defense is that we don't give up three-pointers. Um, uh, we're one of the one of the best three-point field goal percentage defense teams in the country. But we saw today, uh, there's no question that Central Florida was incredibly successful against Duke taking three-pointers. A lot of them were contested. A lot of them were Aubrey Dawkins, you know, just feeling it. And, uh, I mean, the dude was five of seven from three. But we can't afford to have something like that happen uh, against Virginia Tech because Virginia Tech is too good a team. And then, to me, the uh, obviously, Zion Williamson is, uh, you know, a huge – factor that they haven't had to deal with in the past. But um, I really want to see if we can if we can figure out a way to hurt them on the boards. They're not a big team other than Blackshear. They, there's really no one else in their lineup taller than 6'6". Six, six. Um, uh, so I, 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 we're going to have a height advantage, perhaps even a very significant one almost all the time. They're a team that they, they try to rebound together. Um, they don't get very many offensive boards at all. But, but if we can hurt them um, on – on their defensive boards, our offensive boards, I think that would be a very, very big key. And and I'm going to be interested in seeing how they defend Zion. I imagine they'll use Blackshear to do it, but Zion's venturing away from the basket a, a lot more these days. And he he's starting with the ball on the perimeter, even if it's not just taking those three pointers. It's it's the fact that he starts on the perimeter and because he wants to get a running start on you. Well, if he's drawing Blackshear away from the basket, that's a problem for Virginia Tech. And it, it's just, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting game. You may see, I actually think it's very possible that that Ty Outlaw will will spend a lot of time guarding Zion Williamson, but they've, they've never seen him before. And I think that's a distinct advantage for Duke in this game 
although I'm still pissed that we have to play a team that knows us as well as Virginia Tech does. But the NCAA, I've, I've done that rant. I'm not going to do it again. Yes, yes, yes. We know. Um, no need, no need to repeat it here. <laughs> I, I am the, the other, the only other thing that I'm looking for uh, on top of this is the is the DBR uh, bracket challenge, which as long as Duke is still in the tournament is is always going to be a tough fight. Um, so it is a it is a crowded top of the field right now. Uh, of course, the winner of that of that event gets to uh, appear as a guest on this show uh, sometime over the summer. So uh, how, keep your you eyes out. Know, how many people did we get in the challenge? It's a good question. It says, the 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 group says that there are 758 members of the of the bracket pool, but I don't know. Wow, I don't know. How, that's a lot. No, no, no. <laughs> but I think, but 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 that there's a lot of there's a lot of inactive members in there. So I'm I'm going back through. Actually, it looks like it looks like there's over 700 people, um, over 700 people filled out the bracket this year. So that's that's amazing because I, I want to say last year it was only two, it was only 218. Last year. Am I in 700th? I'm probably in 700th. Is that for real? Place. No. Yeah, there was only no... 218 people last year in in the bracket. I'm seeing a bunch. I'm 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 seeing that much when I open up the Yahoo page. Now maybe they're uh, maybe they're repeats or something. I'm not sure, but yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of people in there. So it's a uh, it's a tough fight. Don't worry, none of us are going to win. Um, well, so hey, hey, I... go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was well, saying I the, the funny thing. For, the funny thing for me is when you're picking. When I was picking some of these. Um, I had a couple of reaches and Kansas being one of them um, to make the final four. But the reason why I have these yeah, things. So you're, because, so you're toast. Yeah. But here's the thing. The reason why is in a bracket, like a bracket challenge like that, where there's 700 people and maybe 687 of them are picking Duke to win it all. You have to separate yourself in other places. And the only way you can do that is by picking final fours that other people don't have. Um, so yeah, like some of these games were, I wasn't really too upset that they that they occurred, that the losses occurred. But it's definitely just like, what do I have to do to kind of separate yourself from the pack? And I think that is what we're going to see over the next week is whether some of these people who have some random Final Four teams, whether those picks remain intact. All right, so guys, we're going to finish up here as we do normally at on Sunday nights or whenever these whenever these weeks start for us. Uh, we're going to do our regular player of the week picks, and then for the parting shot, I think we have a collective one parting shot that, that we're going to do all together. But let's start with player of the week, Jason. I'll go to you first. Uh, who was your player of the week for Duke's opening round games against North Dakota State and University of Central Florida? There, there were a lot of guys who played really well, but I mean, come on. Zion! Zion Williamson. I mean, he was unreal. Uh, it, it, it's obvious to say we don't win without him. Um, he, he, I, by the way, I feel like he's, not only has he elevated his game since he came back from, from the injury, um, but I, I feel like he, it, it clearly looks to me like he's been, he was working when he was injured on his outside shot and his free throws and things like that. Because um, I, I think his form looks even better and he's clearly not afraid to take three pointers. I mean, Zion took seven threes in this game and, and almost every single one of them looked like it was dead solid on target. Um, dude, he's clearly player of the week. He's player of the year, player of the decade. All right. So Donald, um, I'm going to go with the guy who I thought played well for both games. Um, his name is Mark. His is Zion. That's definitely Zion. 
<laughs> oh, okay, you weren't gonna go with uh, you weren't gonna go with Joey Baker and his three pointer that he made, or Jordan Goldwire, Jordan Goldwire and the three pointers that he made. I mean, a lot of guys contributed. Guys, Zion Williamson was the player of the week. I don't know how many times we have to keep doing this. Uh, maybe maybe this will be a more fun thing for us to do next year when when Zion's not around and we can actually spread the love a little more. Right, three for three. Oh, I don't again. know. I I kind of I kind of love watching Zion. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, We'll we'll miss him, but at least at least this segment of the show for for the purposes of our content will be a little bit more interesting. Um, hey, we'll finish I, with can the, I, I yeah. say, Can I take this moment and say I'm praying to the gods that the Atlanta Hawks get lucky in the lottery? If Zion Williamson, whichever NBA team gets Zion Williamson, it's going to change the future of that team. I mean, it's it's just I, I, the Hawks have a shot at it. Please, please. <laughs> yeah, would be would be pretty cool for you. Um, Donald yes. probably wouldn't mind it if uh, if he ended up on the Wizards. Wouldn't wouldn't be the worst thing. Uh, let's finish. I, I think Donald, you're going to introduce this for us. We have a sort of collective parting shot this week because th- this was too good, right? It, it definitely was. It's it. I think most people have seen at this point what uh, Duke Blue Planet now now the Duke men's basketball Twitter and Facebook their social media is just absolutely amazing but i think they outdid themselves because just before the tournament started on friday morning they released a video called the brotherhood it's a four and a half minute video with basically everyone from christian leitner to tyus jones all the way to you know uh, they had everybody marvin bagley wendell carter anybody who we have known as to be one of the great stars uh of this duke team since coach k took over had, was a part of this video talking about basically hyping you up for the tournament, but also explaining what the brotherhood means to them and what it is that these guys are fighting for. Um, it's one of the best videos that Duke has ever produced um, for Duke basketball. And I, I just want to give a shout out to their social media team because he, they have done absolute amazing work. And from what I heard, my, my friend, my best friend, Jeff told me that they, he had read somewhere that this had been something that they had collected over the last three years, it was an idea that uh, Dave Bradley came up with in 2015 after they won the national championship and just had been collecting it from random people over the years. They even had Johnny Dawkins on here, uh, which, which was kind of funny considering that, you know, they, they were doing this at a time that we could have played them. Uh, we yeah, yeah. Hey, hey. so, so, so Donald, yeah. So what they did was every time a player would come in town, like for the K Academy or for a, mm-hmm. a regular game or any event that brought alumni back to town, um, they would, they would have them sit down, you know, they, they tried to have them sort of wear black or something like that. They had a specific background and they ended up getting 58, 58 different Duke basketball players. I mean, it's, yeah, that's it's amazing. such a great, it's such a great video. It really uh, you and and such a labor of love for the Duke men's basketball creative team um, to spend that much time on it. You know, there had to be times they were tempted to like, oh, we've got enough. Like last year, they're probably like, we we've got forty five guys. We should do it now. You know, whatever the number may have been, mm-hmm. but to wait and wait and wait until they got to what they thought was the perfect moment, um, and uh, and they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. And just the the, you know, and, and before I end this, like just to see how they the words, how they match the highlights from this year's team. And that part itself is flawless. Like that takes a lot of work. And it's not just about getting the guys and recording the videos and just kind of splicing it together. 
but looping in those highlights and finding enough highlights from this season to make it so that it seems seamless and that it seems like they put this together last week is nothing short of amazing. And, and I'll tell you one thing with a lot of the guys that you see, it brings back memories of all those guys playing basketball for coach K and for Duke university. And just, that's what got me the most hype is like, when you see Shane Batty on you, they, they would show a play from him blocking uh, Jason Gardner in the national championship game in 2001. They show John Shire and they show him in 2010. They show, you know, Nolan Smith and they show him in 2010. So like you, you get to remember these guys. And also for a lot of these guys that are still in the NBA right now, currently it makes you appreciate them more um, because when you're watching the NBA, I find now um, more than ever, I'm watching games and watching and, and rooting for their success. Even if they're teams that I don't like the guys, I will always love and cherish. And I think that is what the brotherhood is really that, that branding has really helped accentuate that amongst Deuce fans the last few years. And I think that is why this video is so brilliant. Yeah. And I was just impressed at the, at the sheer number of guys they had and how long the, like the whole production is because like a minute and a half in, I thought, Man, where's this? It's like, or, or it's got to be like wrapping up soon. Like, it, it sort of feels like a like a movie preview, right? Like a like mm-hmm. a long two minute movie preview, and it's like five minutes long, and it and it still gets you, gives you chills like the whole way through. I was I was uh, I was shocked at at like how riveted I. I mean, obviously, I'm a Duke fan, but um, I had a great time watching it. I I hope that that folks out there get a chance to you know sit down for a couple minutes and 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 watch a five minute video. Uh, Jason, did you have anything more on this uh, on this very cool parting shot this week? I I, I do. Um, I I just love I love Christian Leitner's role in the video. I mean, when Leitner comes on, he's still this is a guy who's still like embracing the fact that that he's the the worldwide villain. He doesn't mind it, and and he he says, "Look, you know, he's like hate me as much as you want, hate us as much as you want. You know, this is what we do. We win." And you can just tell. And that's um, the hashtag for the whole video. It's like, you ain't got to like us, but you will, you, you will, you know, respect us. Um, yes. Yeah. That sort of thing is just perfect because that's exactly what it is. Right. We, we've talked about it all season when it, we even talk about tonight, when we have our slanted view of what the game is going like, you go on Twitter and you see everybody else hating. They're hating because deep down they respect that we are in this position year after year after year with those guys. Jason, I'm so glad you mentioned it. I was in Chapel Hill last night with a bunch of friends, and I walked by a dude in an I Still Hate Leitner t-shirt in 2019. Yes. He has old enough to remember 17, why. 17 years. There are there are co- 27. 27. 27 years. 20, I'm sorry, 27 years. Oh my God. There are there are people who have children in school today who don't remember. Watching Christian Leitner play, yeah, like way long ago, like, like yeah. he's way before kids who were in college now. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's awesome. Yeah, Unbel- And I, I, I would have said something to the guy, except as I mentioned, I was in Chapel Hill, and I wasn't exactly trying to, you know, to like get myself in in, in too much trouble. Um, so, so good thing that I'm still here today to talk about it. I did before we want to wrap, um, guys, real quick. The game on Friday night, it looks like the the tip times just came out, so. Duke is in the second game on Friday night. The first game, of course, is is LSU and Michigan State. If Duke beats Virginia Tech, they would get the winner of that game. That game tips just after 7 o'clock on CBS on Friday night. So Duke will be 
somewhere in the like nine forty five ish game. Yeah. They'll be in yeah, the they'll be in the really late game. Yeah. But um, oh. that's got to be expected, right? We we are prime time, so that's not uh, surprising. I, they they want maximum maximum eyeballs on the Blue Devils and on Zion. I can get on the road Zion. late from Durham to to get there. So um, so yeah, if folks are going to be in DC next weekend, um, Donald and I will will be around. So uh, I don't know. We'll like drink beers or or something. Uh, For sure, we're, we're we're good at that, right? We'll have we a little mini meetup, and, and and when we figure out a place, we'll we'll. We'll tell people on Twitter where we are having a few pre-game uh, beverages, and people can stop by and say hello. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds like fun. We, it and was Jason, fun at least when it was here. This weekend, I have a couch. Yeah, Jason, if you want to come, it's not going to happen, gentlemen. Sorry. No, <laughs> <all right. laughs> not, we tried. Not without we tried. And, and, on, and on short notice, no. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> well, in any event, um, we will talk to you guys after. After we'll say after the Virginia Tech game. Um, obviously it'll be soon after if, if things go well and perhaps not so soon after if things don't as, as has sort of been the tradition here the last few years. Um, so hopefully we talk to you sooner than later, uh, with good news, uh, from the sweet 16, but that'll do it for this episode, 155 of the Duke basketball report podcast for Jason Evans in Atlanta and for Donald wine in Washington, DC, the home of the blue devils for the sweet 16. I am Sam Klein in Durham. Thank you very much for tuning in as always. And thank you to our sponsors, GTHC, GTH.com, as well as bird Campbell PA, who has been with us for a while now, Duke band, take us home. <laughs> <laughs>